This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Kim. And this season, or in season two of Soccer Pilgrim, I wanted to... I will talk about travel and my experience in particular with playing soccer abroad or watching soccer abroad, but uh, not as a professional, obviously, just as like a traveler. But I wanted to spend some time this season to talk about, I guess, the, the connection between the religious sentiment and religious feeling and soccer and how it might make someone play soccer feel. It might sound like a stretch to you, but I please just hear me out. <laughs> as someone who spent, you know, his academic career whatever whatever academic career that I have is you know what I've done is establish pop culture and religion where do we see religion proliferating in pop culture or similar sentiments or if not similar overlaps and the more time I spent studying religion whether that's Christianity Islam Judaism Buddhism what have you or even cults I'm realizing that sports and religion have a lot in common what I mean is there's there's a lot of similarities in terms of feeling a sense of purpose, a sense of uh, why am I doing this? Why do I keep doing this? You know, everyone looks forward to it throughout the week. Some people might say, "Who looks forward to going to church every week?" Trust me, I know a lot of people who look forward to going to church every week, or go go to pray to a mosque every Friday, or go to temple every Saturday or Friday night. I I, met, I know a lot of religious people who are like that. And one thing I do notice about those about those religious people is, let's say for Christians on Sunday, they're far more chilled out, you know, happier. Uh, they're just excited. It's almost as if they're they're in the moment. They're just happy about life, you know. And those truly devout people who go to church, they find that space to release and let go and ask for forgiveness or even forgive others in their own hearts. And in a lot of ways, soccer does that similarly. I mean, you're not going to soccer to have some crazy religious spiritual experience. It's not as if every time you score a goal, you convert to a new religion or anything like that. But there is the feeling of soccer that is exhilarating, euphoric, and that's all you want to do all day, every day. That's a real feeling. I think the younger generation now, or even my generation, we felt that with video games. The first time we played video games, we've all been like, how do I make this my entire life? And then when you grow up, you realize that, okay, I can either make this into a job or this will be just one of my favorite hobbies to do. So again, how does this all tie into soccer? And that's what I want to do is really dig into the emotional aspect of it. Why is it soccer, even baseball? Why, why is it about these two sports that make grown men cry? <laughs> that just play in front of thousands of people. And then when I, whether they lose or win, they cry. A lot of people would say, well, that's you know a cultural thing. Europeans are very open with their emotions. But it, it's true. Uh, but it, in a lot of ways, I feel it's only in soccer you'd see this. Perhaps you wouldn't see it in any, not just in soccer, but in sports. And why is that? So I suppose briefly, what this episode, I do want to give you an idea of at least the emotional aspect for soccer fans and soccer players and what is it about this game that attracts us to it. The game is easy. The game is fun. It's straightforward. But it, it gives you something. And it's sometimes it's kind of hard to put your finger on it. You know, there's a lot of rational explanations we can go through saying, you know, physical activity, it stim- it creates all these uh, these chemicals in your brain that makes you feel happy. You're getting out there because your, your body needs to be exercised X amount of times a day. And when you do that, you 
feel like a better person, a happier person. And it's true, all that you find in soccer. And that's why people love soccer, because they're subconsciously doing that to themselves, which is great. And the same thing in religion, I suppose. So that medical explanation should be enough. It's like, well, that's it. That's why people love soccer, because it makes them feel good, happy, and so on and so forth. But why watch it then? Some people say, well, watching it is entertainment. It's like watching a film or playing video games. So how I'm going to break down this episode is going to be completely my opinion and how I see things, obviously. And then I'll supplement that with my conversations with friends who do play soccer or from interviews or, yeah, interviews from pro players or other people on, let's say, influencers on YouTube who are soccer influencers and what their opinions are. I'm going to start with a story. I shared the story in the other podcast on Jay Kim's topic or on topic with Jason Kim on the first episode. The first season was on soccer. And for those who haven't listened to that podcast, I encourage you to go check that out as well. That's the podcast that I started with. That's sort of my side project that I like to do. But in that episode, I talked about why I love soccer. So in 2002, the World Cup came to Korea and Japan, and they were both the host nations. And I was born in 92, so I was like 10, 9, 10 years old at this time. And I remember my dad, just a few months leading up to World Cup, my dad would be telling me, telling me about the 2002 World Cup. And this is the first time I ever heard my dad talk about soccer. There was a World Cup in 98 when France won, but I didn't even know that happened or wasn't aware of it. Now I'm 10, a little more conscious, if you will. And my dad was uh, excited about it. And he'd tell me that, oh, it's in Korea. It's finally in Korea, this and that. He was like, I'm actually going to go to Korea because he had to go to Korea for some business thing. And he said he couldn't go to a game, but he was just happy to be in Seoul when the games were happening because he told me that the vibe of the city was completely different everyone's festive everyone's happy that was perhaps the best time to go visit korea as a tourist because that was when the country's doors were the most open that's what my dad told me my other friend hoyoung tells me that he was in korea at the time during the 2002 world cup and he just told me what he remembered was it was a party every day it was a festival every day and i remember korea is a country of hard work and korea is a highly traumatized country with a highly traumatized history of war uh starvation famine coup d'etat borderline revolutions happening in south korea and among other things world cup's happening korea makes it to the semi-final they were knocked out by germany and then they lost the third place match against turkey and apparently turkey was going through like a golden age of soccer and so was korea but even if korea won fourth no one was upset everyone was incredibly happy every korean was happy to see our country this country that only but 50 years ago, was considered one of the poorest countries in the world. And now it is an economic powerhouse, making it a semifinal of the World Cup and hosting the World Cup without a hitch. Granted, there may have been a little bit of, uh, what is the word? Corruption. Yes, there must have. There was a little bit of corruption. Some people, especially the Italians, think that the Korean FA bribed the, the coaches, I mean the refs. And I thought they were just being racist, but now seeing how FIFA does business, I don't think they're racist anymore. I think they have a point, the Italians. But then again, when Italians say things, they, you know, anyway, take a grain of salt. <laughs> so to go back to the story with my dad, this is a man that had that was a veteran of the Vietnam War. He was 22 or 23 when he was sent to Vietnam to fight alongside the Americans. And he was six years old when the Korean War broke out. And he was born during Japanese occupation of Korea. So my dad's been through some shit. And in the 80s, there was a coup d'etat in Korea. And that's when he decided to leave and, you know, immigrate to Vancouver. 
and then eventually from Vancouver he makes it to Montreal. So this is a man who's been through a lot, who's experienced a lot, endured racism in Canada, endured war in Korea and famine, and he'd tell me all these stories, and he'd always tell me these stories of trauma. And then in 2002, to see his face light up, jumping and singing and dancing, uh, yeah, he was definitely singing, but he was just like dancing, he was just happy. That every goal that Korea scored, he just loses shit. And as a young 10-year-old and seeing your father get happy that way, as a son, you want to be able to do that for him. That's the motivation of every child, you know, to make their, to make their parents proud and happy. So to see how my dad reacted, but just not my dad, but like his friends, he'd invite his friends and then see my mom to, re- to react the way she did. To see all these people just joyous. You know, as a kid who didn't play really, I played soccer, but I didn't love it. But that moment made me realize that I wanted to be a pro player because that's what I want to make people feel. I want to entertain people. I want to make people feel happy. Obviously, I didn't become a pro player. I told my dad to be a pro player, and he was like, "Haha, funny. No, you're gonna be a doctor, lawyer." And then, yeah, that was the story of every Korean family. But that was my main motivation was to make my dad happy. And he passed away in 2011. And before he passed away, he always told me how proud he was of me playing soccer and how much he would. Love to watch me play. By the way, he would just come to my games and not tell me. I, I only heard about this through my other Korean soccer friends who'd say, yeah, your dad will come to your games, but he wouldn't tell you because he just wanted to see you in the wild, you know? And <laughs> So to me, how soccer makes me feel is intensely personal, as you can see. But not only was it intensely personal, it gave me a sense of value and purpose because I stopped playing soccer when I got into high school because it was just one of those extracurricular tutoring and chores that your parents would make, make me do. I was going to English English tutor, French tutor, math tutor, soccer, church, Korean school, uh, piano school. I The only reason why I didn't do Taekwondo was because I was doing all these other seven or eight extracurricular activities. So I was playing soccer, but I just I never got into it. But then in high school, in grade 9 and grade 10, is when I really got back into soccer because my high school friends were really into it. And the way they loved to talk about the game, play about the game, they would talk about AC Milan and Manchester United for hours. They would talk about Real Madrid and this new kid coming up through Barcelona called Messi. They would talk about all these guys. And I'm like, you, you love this shit. You know, you really love this game. And I want that energy. At the time, I, I wasn't... What was I really into at the time? I had nothing that I was really, really into. I was always into video games, but not passionately. So in this moment, there was nothing I was really passionately participating in. And when my friends took me in to play soccer with them, I immediately fell in love. I was never in love with the game. But in grade 9, I fell in love with the game because my friends were so into it. They would play soccer with me. My dad never had time to play soccer with me because he was working all the time. A part of me, you know, the inner child in me would definitely resent him for it. But now as a 28-year-old man, it's like, you know, he all he knew was work, work, work. I can't blame him. If anything, I'm grateful that he shared that World Cup moment with me. So I'd play soccer with my high school friends, and we'd go to, to all these pickup games throughout the city, as I've told you in the previous season. And I would get better and better and better and play. And then eventually, when I was 16, the church soccer team asked me to play for the team. And to me, this was like being called up to play for the Korean national team. It's so small, but success has various levels you know and to me this was the first level of being a serious soccer player i'm like yes okay they wanted me on the team it's all amateur i still had this fantasy that maybe i'll play for real madrid but it's all a fantasy i didn't take that seriously and to be honest if i had took that dream seriously who knows where i would have gone but you know and i started playing for my church team and again the church team was great because it was 
with a bunch of guys who all they wanted to do was play soccer every Sunday with the church team. And we were playing in the, you know, the Korea, Montreal Korean Community Soccer League. And all the teams are organized by either friends or churches. But most of the teams are just churches that got together and made, you know, there would be a church from Hosanna, there would be a church from Yonapkyoe, there would be another church from my church, which is Harang. I'm saying church a lot. <laughs> but it was every individual uh, eglise or church would have their own team. And we play every Sunday. And I love it. And it was so much fun. The, the league is still happening today. All right, so let me just give you a little bit of quick context about my life. I used to go to church every Sunday and every Friday, and I'd obviously end up playing soccer with the church team. But when I got into university and I started and I started studying religion as my major and as a social scientific pursuit of religion, I've become agnostic. I stopped going to church, and there, there's a lot of other reasons that I don't feel like getting to right now. But despite that, I still played for the church soccer team because I loved soccer. And the truth is, it was, it's funny how I lost my faith in church and lost my faith of being a Protestant Presbyterian. But my faith in soccer stayed the same. If not, it grew stronger. I love the game far more intensely now. Perhaps all that emotional energy that I spent, go, you know, spent using it going to church or investing it in my spiritual health, I invested all that energy into my soccer health or into my soccer ability. And the truth of the matter is, soccer has helped me more with my mental health than religion has. I hate to say that because I think religion has a beautiful way of addressing mental health and really helping people with mental health issues. So ironically, it was church that made me fall even harder in love with soccer. <laughs> you know, it's, it was church that helped me actualize this camaraderie that I guess I was, that I really wanted. That kind of emotion that my dad was, you know expressing when watching the World Cup, I was getting to do that on the field with 10 other guys that are on the same boat as me. And that's all I was always wanted. I fell in love with soccer because it was an easy game to fall into and play and it's so much fun. But I realized that my love for soccer has everything to do with the emotional feeling it gives me. A good pass gives me just as much joy as scoring a top bins goal. Granted, if you can score a top bins goal, like top corner goal, from like 10, 20 yards out, I mean, that's the greatest feeling you'll ever get. But that's how much I love the game. Goal, tackles, passes, what have you. Doing all that right makes me feel good. It makes me feel happy because I value technique over anything else. So I guess going back to a more explicit comparison to religion and soccer, and using myself as an example, soccer has been consistent. <laughs> I think that's the main thing. It's just it's consistently made me feel happy and some days angry if let's say I had a bad game or I felt like I played bad it, it just made me feel angry but that served as motivation not to make those those same mistakes again in the next game or to go and practice so I won't make those same mistakes again in game and my personal problem is that I have a hard time accepting the fact that I've made those mistakes because uh, in my head I I've, you know, I I put myself at such a high standard that it's kind of unrealistic and stupid but when I could pull off those high standards, I feel amazing and great because you want to you wanna play at a certain level or keep playing at a certain level, be consistent. And that's the hardest thing about soccer is being consistent. And religion works similarly where you have to be consistent in your attendance to, let's say, church or reading the Bible or praying every day. There's another thing we used to do at church called quiet time. So at every, let's say, you wake up in the morning at 6 a.m., you find a Bible verse and you just pray on it and meditate on the Bible verse and you think about that. What does that make you feel? Is there any more? But that being said, it makes it easy to see 
religion or religious elements in anything in life, such as sports. You know, you have your heroes in both religions. You have the priests or the, the the coaches of the teams. You have people who show up every weekend to a venue to participate in this thing, which whether it's religion or watching a soccer game or even playing a soccer game. And to me, soccer was the one thing that consistently made me feel satisfied and happy and a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose that I was supposed to be a soccer player. I was supposed to play soccer. I was supposed to meet people through the sport. That was a genuine feeling I've had since I was 16. That this game, I was made to play this game. And especially growing up in the peak and prime eras of Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi, all you want to do is do what they did. You want to be like, I want to be like them. I want to reach to that level. So you're actually motivated to go on the field. So every time I would go and watch pickup soccer, it's always funny to see who played like Ronaldo, who played like Drogba, who played like Messi, who played like Iniesta. You'd always see those type of guys. And obviously I was one of them. Like at some point, in some summers, I wanted to play more like Di Maria. And other summers, I wanted to play a little more like Bale. Another summer, I wanted to play a little more like Kaká. Like, that was me in my youth because those guys, you know, those are some of the guys that influenced my game the most. The one thing, though, that I love about soccer that religion hasn't really taught me was to understand and read people. I used to be a missionary. So my whole thing was to be able to talk to the right people and effectively communicate to them and tell them why the Gospels are for them and why they should be reading the Gospels to elevate their lives. But that's hard because now you're asking some you're, you're asking someone to completely change their worldview and their spiritual worldview, which is not an easy thing to do. It's very difficult. That takes time. But in soccer, what it has taught me was you can convince other people just by being a good player. At pickup games, everyone's constantly judging each other, looking at them like, oh, this guy looks like shit. This guy looks good. Oh, look what he's wearing. That's happening at, at pickup games all the time. And the way to earn your respect and convince people that you are good enough is to get on the field and play. If you're not good enough, fine, come back and keep working at it. That's the way to prove yourself to other people. You're not trying to go over and verbally convince them and say like, you know, I am the best player because I could do this and I could convince you verbally and show you like videos, let's say. In soccer, they don't care. It's the now. What do you have to show me now? What are you, how are you good now? And maybe that's why it's that mentality that makes me so upset because I feel like I have to be good all the time, which is sometimes an unnecessary pressure. But anyway, just have fun at the end of the day. I mean, that's that's a given. But in soccer, it's you could generalize all Brazilians play very attacking flair football. But that doesn't mean all Brazilians play that way. So that's when that's why soccer is beautiful, because you have to constantly prove yourself on the field and say, this is the kind of player that I am. This is the kind of player I could provide to you, to your team. And this is what I could do for you. I'm convincing you by work, by demonstration and and sometimes I, I have a hard time with compliments because I always want to be complimented on my work as opposed to my appearance or whatever, you know? Whereas soccer, it's controversial, but in a fun way. Or the only reason why soccer will ever get controversial if, let's say, you support the wrong club. But even at that, it just becomes really friendly banter. Unless that guy's like, an, like a crazy hardcore fan, then, you know, that gets violent. Those people exist, but you often find them in Europe and in South America, perhaps even in Africa. But the one thing that soccer has taught me is that unlike being a missionary where you need to learn the local languages and customs and culture and all that, a lot of missionaries don't do that, by the way, but I do that because I want to be good at what I do. And with soccer, you don't need a language. 
that's the beautiful thing about the game. It's so everywhere in the world that you just got to show up and say, can I play? And even if you don't speak the same language, just the gesture of saying, can I play or participate? It will translate. People understand, oh, I think this guy wants to play with us. And it, again, even at that culture where you don't speak the language, if you are good, they will they will resonate with you. They will, you know, it'll be endearing. And sometimes you don't even have to be good. You just have to be fun to play with. So I was, in 2012, I went to Kenya and I went on a volunteer trip. And I realized that when I got to Kenya with the organization I signed up with, I realized, oh, this is volunteerism, but it's a little more complicated. I initially went because I wanted to go work or help in a refugee camp in Kenya or an IDP camp, internally displaced people's camp. Because I think in 2008 or 2005, there was a civil war in Kenya and it all had to do with the election results. But the problem of that time was the elections was very much based on ethnic and tribal lines. So some candidates were getting votes exclusively from particular tribes and then the other candidates would get from rivaling tribes or rivaling nations or ethnicities. And you could see where the conflict arises. It becomes an us versus them, tribe A starts fighting with tribe B and then next thing you know tribe B is now sent in an internally displaced camp because they lost the conflict I could be wrong but like that's how I remember it right now so I was there for two weeks and we did some activities on the side he said okay we can't go to the refugee camp right away because there's a rotation of volunteers there right now so when their rotation is done you'll go in and I thought okay cool so what am I going to do in the meantime because my entire trip was to do that to do a, a medical outreach at the refugee camp and he said, well, you know, we can go on safari. We could do some other excursions while you wait. Uh, waiting meaning like days or even a week. So I thought, okay, yeah, let's go on safari. So first day we went on safari. That was all fun. And then I, we come back from safari and I'm just like, all right, can I now, I, I want to go do some work. I want to go, you know, help people. And he was, uh, the guy running the organization, it's a grassroots organization and it's called Marafiki Community. And what I loved about them is that when you stay with them, you live with locals. You're not living at some compound. You're living among locals. So we lived in like some random working class neighborhood on the outskirts of Nairobi in the suburbs where we were, where the entire town knew that all the Asians are staying in this corner and staying in those houses. But it, I never felt threatened. I never felt uh, scared. I was completely safe. I loved it there. I was Jackie Chan and Jet Li, very famous. I was very famous in Kenya. I was also Ching Chong and Chink and all that. But it was, that was definitely difficult. But once you start playing soccer, all those names kind of go away. So in the neighborhood, there was these kids. I noticed they were playing soccer. And one of my friends, who's also Korean, said, Hey, man, uh, I know you're really bummed out. You came to help people. But you want to go play soccer with these kids? It might cheer us all up. Because my friends also wanted to go do the refugee work. And they said, you know, let's go play soccer. It'll, you know, cheer us up. We'll play with the neighborhood kids. And I thought, yeah, let's go. So we went. They had a ball. We played with them. It was like five on five, six on six. And these kids were ranging from like age 12 to like 16. So they're like teenagers, essentially. And they were having so much fun. They they were not bad. Like considering that we weren't playing on the street, we were playing on like dirt, bumpy roads with rocks sticking out. Right next to the road, there was just a big hole that used to be a building there. And that was just a hole and a hole in the ground and the ball will fall into that hole all the time and the kids will go in and pick it out and I ask them aren't you scared of snakes they're like yeah we see them here sometimes but they're not here today and I'm like oh Christ this is not good <laughs> and then uh, as we were playing their ball hit a nail and it deflated and I thought oh, okay well now the game is over 
but being Kenya, they kept playing with the ball. Even with the deflated ball, they kept playing. And I thought, of course, like uh, my privileged ass thought, oh, punctured ball, game over. No, no more ball. But they kept playing. And then it was dinner time. We, you know, we left to go have dinner. And then voila, that's it, over. Then the next day, my friend and I decided to go to the mall nearby. And I bought a ball for like 300 shillings. 300 shillings, which was like not a lot in Canadian. I forget how much. I forget what the conversion is. And I go, we go back to the neighborhood. 300 shillings is not that much. And we go back. I bring the ball. And the ball, like it's like a dollar, two dollar ball. And the kids took it and they looked at it as if I just brought them like a Champions League level ball. Like a FIFA World Cup final ball, you know. They look at this ball like this is amazing. This is the, this is the nicest soccer ball they've ever seen. And then they immediately started playing with it. And then they immediately destroyed the ball. It got, a, it got punctured the end of that day. At the end of the end of the day, there was a hole and the ball was done. The next day, we were able to go to the refugee camp. We go, and then once I go, they like were, they pretty much said, we don't really need you. We already have a lot of work done. So I thought, oh, why the fuck did I come all the way here? But at the same time, it was, you know, I'm in Kenya. Have fun. Even if I don't get to work with the refugees and help people, I'm still in East Africa. My two weeks in Kenya were fun, but what I remember the most was soccer is a language. This was the first time I got to travel outside of the Western world besides Korea. And really understand how do other people in different parts of the world think. And here's a secret. They think the same way as anyone of, any anyone else does, obviously. But their relationship with soccer is a little different. Everyone plays soccer. Every shop I've walked past in Kenya. Every other shop had some sort of soccer poster. Every barber shop had soccer posters on him. Every time people call me Chinese, I would always correct them, say I'm Korean. They said Park Ji Sung. And I'm like, yeah, Park Ji Sung. Holy shit. And then because they all watch soccer. A lot of them watch soccer. And I bonded with people because they knew a Korean soccer player. And they immediately want to talk to me everything about Korea. How is it that a country like you could produce a guy like that? Because the only big name Kenyan player out there right now is Victor Wanyama, who used to play in, I think, Lyon. And he used to play, he used to play in Tottenham. Now he plays for the Montreal Impact, a very big up in his career. I'm very happy for him. <laughs> but but that's it. We bonded over soccer. And then it opened this channel for other conversations. You know, being Korean-Canadian, talking to Kenyans who've never seen a Korean-Canadian or ever met a Korean-Canadian. Didn't even know... They didn't really understand what Korea is or was or what is it. <laughs> and as much as it was difficult of all the comments of being Asian that was made towards me, you have to develop a tough... Uh, a thick skin because if you think about it none of these people have ever seen asian people they've only seen asian people on tv so you can't really blame them for coming up with this shit some people get upset saying like you can't say that that's racist blah 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 blah." and i'm like well you can't also impose your western standards on people who don't live the same way who don't live with the same cultural dynamic as we do in the west so i suppose to summarize this episode soccer has a way to take you to places where you never thought it could take you i remember a few summers ago where jimmy conrad the ex captain of the United States soccer team who played in the FIFA World Cup for the, with the United States or for United States he had this nonprofit organization in Brazil where you would help people in the favelas or slums but you also get to play soccer with like I think the Sao Paulo B team or you get to play soccer with like some like semi-pro soccer players in Brazil and I thought that's great I will I, I want to do that but you know there was money involved you have to pay X amount which I was like eh, it's a little much I don't know if I want to do that but the fact that there is something like that out there I think that's amazing. It shows how much soccer could do. How much the game in of itself is a universal language. 
I believe maybe in 10, 20 years, basketball will enter that same arena because basketball is growing like crazy throughout the world. And I think soccer and basketball will hold that similar space where you don't need to speak the language. If you're good at the game, that will speak for itself. Or if you love the game, not even good, if you love the game and, you're, and you enjoy yourself, that, speak, that speaks for itself. It, it transfers. So I guess to end, it's, it doesn't matter what language you speak, what culture you're from, or how you see the world. Soccer makes you feel a certain way. And it resonates for all soccer players that it's just, it's just fun. It's, it's just fun. It's just it's the one thing you get to do where you genuinely forget there's climate change. You for genuinely forget there is a war going on somewhere. You forget that the world that all these politicians are corrupt. You forget all of that. Because all that matters is the dudes on the pitch and the ball and putting the ball in the net. That's what our one of my coaches used to say. Put the ball in the net. Thank you, coach. <laughs> Again, so if you are a soccer player and you do love to travel and you see people playing pickup, ask to join, ask to participate, take that extra step and say, hey, can I play with you guys? And just see what it's like to play. Because I was in Brussels and I saw people playing uh, pickup soccer. They were just fucking around. They weren't playing a real game. But just to see them messing about, just kicking a ball around, I could tell that the level was much higher. I was like, oh, these guys are pretty good and they're just messing around. You know, before when I used to travel, I never traveled with thinking about soccer. I would travel because I, wouldn't, I just wanted to see the world and meet people. But the more I reflect back on my relationship with soccer and travel, soccer always has a way to find me in these travels. You know, I ended up going to a West Ham game in London because I was like, why not? I'm, you're going you're to be in London, why not, why not catch a Premier League game? I, when I was in the south of Italy, I was invited to go play soccer with some people, uh, five-a-side five soccer, but I couldn't go because I had all these excursions planned, which I regret. I wish I, I wish I played soccer in Italy with Italians. That would have been amazing. And sometimes, even if you're Canadian, and sometimes people who come from soccer countries say, oh, well, Canadians aren't good at soccer. That's the best thing to happen to you because they have low expectations and that's when you wreck them. Like, that's that's what you want. <laughs> anyway, all this to say, this is um this has been a very personal episode, obviously. But I had to make it personal if you want to understand how soccer makes me feel. As a matter of fact, the more I think about it, I don't think I went deep enough. But I, I at least want to give you a taste, I give you an understanding what soccer might feel to someone like anyone in this case me how does it make me feel and honestly it's the greatest antidepressant that i've ever had soccer is the greatest antidepressant and the greatest drug and there's nothing better i can ask for so if there is a soccer god thank you but otherwise to the regular god thank you <laughs> um so for all those who've listened to this episode i i thank you i'm very grateful and i'm humbled that you listen to this much of my voice and uh, I'll see you in the next episode. So my name is Jason Kim, and this is Soccer Poker. Thank you.